This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and we're back <laughs> after a short respite between open line and now. And uh, a little bird tells me, actually, he's more like six foot one, um, but a uh, little bird tells me that Patty will be back tomorrow. So stay tuned. That should be interesting indeed. Well, we're pivoting now to on target and uh, moving from the politics of the day and healthcare and all of the other uh, pressing concerns. We're going to go a little bit deeper in time, I suppose. Uh, there's no surprise to anybody who's ever visited Newfoundland and Labrador that rock dominates everything. The rock or rocks that make up Newfoundland and Labrador hold within them some of the Earth's earliest secrets. They offer a glimpse of some of the earliest tectonic activity, the formation of the ocean beds, and some of the very first evidence of complex life forms, including those that represent the transition from plant to animal life. We're going way back now. Well, my guest today on On Target is the province's chief paleontologist, Doug Boyce. Hello. Hi, Doug. Hi. And so I guess we'll start with the basics for anybody who doesn't ha happen to know. You live it, but what is a paleontologist? A paleontologist, sorry, a paleontologist is someone who studies uh, prehistoric organisms and traces of organisms. Right, so very different from an archaeologist who is That's studying right. what people leave behind. Yeah, the a paleontologist studies uh, prehistoric organisms. Uh, the only uh, time that paleontology and archaeology overlap is when you come to the arrival of hominids and humans. Right, so that very uh, crucial branch, I suppose. Only all the last sort of five million years, I guess, would uh, they overlap. Is that so, all just five million? Well, I think the earliest hominids are about five million years uh, of age. Right. Uh, and in and a paleontologist's world, five million is not that long a period of it's time. It's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> So we're talking about, you know, it's hard to wrap one's head around it. Now we're looking at these images, I suppose, from the uh, James Webb, Webb Space Telescope, and it's really giving us that sense of just how small <laughs> and insignificant we are and just how big space and time are. Those are some of the big pictures. But when we think about paleontologists, I think a lot of people often think about the Alberta Badlands, where people are extracting, you know, T-Rex skulls or Patagonia, where evidence of some of the Earth's largest land animals have been uncovered, these absolutely gigantic tibias and the like. But the rock around Newfoundland and Labrador is far older than that. Yes, it is, yeah. Now, it's pretty old. Uh, in Labrador, you have uh, rocks, I think, uh, that have fossils that are 2 billion years old, so that's pretty good. 2 billion? The oldest fossils are, are 4 billion years Uh and uh, the one there's uh, there are fossils in Labrador that are about two billion years old. They're uh, stromatolites. They're basically uh, blue green blue green algae, uh, and they 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 form buildups. They're one celled uh, organisms, but they could uh, form algal mats, and they were 
They could be fairly spectacular. Is that right? And some of these things still exist today. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Uh, Shark Bay, Australia, you you can see living stromatolites forming. It's just they're they're blue-green algae, and they uh, basically uh, grow, and then they might get covered by a layer of sediment, and then the filaments grow up through the... uh, the sediment and another layer of blue-green algae gets deposited, so they end up getting layered. Uh, layered structures are 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 built, and uh, there are some uh, in uh, on the south coast of the Port of Port Peninsula that are like cliff high. Is that right? I had no idea. Oh yeah, they're pretty spectacular looking. And so these are kind of, for want of a better term, like living rocks. I guess you could say that. Now, also in the Flowers Cove, Seal Cove area, there are a number of uh, uh, algal structures that are uh, Cambrian. Uh, and they they don't seem to have any layered, internal layered structure. And these uh, things are called uh, thrombolites. And the, the the structures are quite spectacular. The, the the rocks out there are basically flat lying, so you'd be looking at them as they were living. And and also in the area of Bird Cove, there are similar structures. They're really amazing. I, I believe the the sea ledges uh, uh, are a, a tourist attraction. So these are some of the very earliest known life forms. Well, these particularly, yeah, the stromatolites and thrombolites do go back a a good ways, but the ones in western Newfoundland are only uh, Cambrian age, so they'd be, say, uh, between 542 million and, say, 400 million years old, roughly. Again, you paleontologists and your wanton ways of <laughs> throwing away the years, I suppose. <laughs> so uh, some people might not think it's as sexy as those dinosaurs and the tooths and the claws and the gaping maws and all the rest of it. But but what what's happening here is very sexy, arguably, and getting the attention of the international community. And I'm thinking in particular about that exciting find out by uh, Port Union not too long ago. Hagutia quadriformis, Hagutia, named after Hootie and the Blowfish, apparently? Uh, No. No? (laughs) Okay. I romanticize it. But I I want to talk to you a little bit about that when we come back after the break. My guest today on On Target is the province's chief paleontologist, Doug Boyce. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target is the province's chief paleontologist, Doug Boyce. And uh, Doug, uh, as I alluded to before, the break, um, there was a very significant uh, finding in the uh, Bonavista Peninsula area a couple of years ago. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, what was found there and what is now residing at the rooms. Well, uh, the fossil uh, uh, displays evidence of muscles, muscle tissue, so that it means it was able to move around. And uh, that's the significant thing. Uh, 
previous uh, fossils uh, from uh, the same age rocks uh, did not have any indication of muscle tissue. So they were basically uh, the creatures that just lived on, I guess you could say, at the end of stalks uh, and uh, weren't, weren't able to move around. So uh, if you have some something moving around, it it may have the potential to like prey uh, on other uh, creatures. Uh, and alternately, uh, if there's some other uh, foss, other organism that had muscles, then it might have the uh, ability to escape from such creatures. But I'm I'm sort of speculating about that right now. But it uh, definitely exhibited uh, muscular muscle muscles, and uh, so it was able to move. A, a significant evolutionary advantage. Yes. Over the previous creatures, which had to sort of sit there and wait for something to come their way. Yeah, a lot of them were filter feeders, uh, so they would just uh, get their nutrients from the ocean. But this one had the ability to grab something if it wanted yeah, to. Yeah, it would have. It would. It had uh, the ability to grab uh, its food. So I guess uh, that would be uh, great if if you can actually grab your food rather than wait for it to come by, because you know, you'll get you'll get more food that way. So you're a paleontologist. You know how these processes work. I mean, it's one thing to fossilize bone or wood. It's a whole other thing to fossilize soft tissue. How rare is that? It's it's fairly rare. Uh, but uh, mistaken point uh, is like world famous. Uh, it's uh, it's got the same fossils, same age fossils as the Bonavista locality. And uh, what's unique about uh, these deposits is that they were buried by volcanic ash. And uh, so uh, the creatures were, like, uh, buried, and there was no chance for uh, other organisms to eat away at the uh, at their uh, soft parts. So they were preserved. But another interesting thing is that... Uh, uh, because they were buried in volcanic ash, the vol- volcanic ashes could be dated with radiometric uh, uh, dating. So basically, you you can pretty much tell exactly when they were covered up. Does the volcanic ash also add to that that level of of finer detail? Yes, it would. Yes. Yeah. Another another mode of preservation is if. Uh, uh, you have some uh, organisms living in deep water and they get buried by a mudslide and uh, there's no oxygen so that uh, the soft parts get preserved, they don't rot. And uh, if it's in an anoxic environment, i.e. if there's no oxygen, then uh, the soft parts won't, uh, well, no creatures will be eating them and there'll be nothing to, uh, no chemical reactions, so they pretty much get preserved. Now that, of course, over time, the uh, sediments uh, bury the uh, specimens deeper and deeper, and uh, the pressure basically converts the uh, out the, the the remains to like a carbon film. So, so they're not they don't retain their original convexity, but they do retain their original shape. 
Uh, yeah, and I was going to ask you uh, about that. Uh, so what did the what did this part of the world look like around the time, first of all, of Mistaken Point and second of all, Port Union? Okay, well, basically uh, both places were in deep water. Uh, and that's another thing about Mistaken Point. They're the deepest uh, water uh, organisms of that age known on Earth. There's another place in uh, in the UK called Shinewood Forest where you get identical uh, uh, organisms, and it's also uh, interpreted as a deep water uh, deposit. Now there are other places in the world that are that have fossils, uh, but they're uh, more shallow water, and they're they're uh, not quite the same. So how deep are we talking? Uh, well. I'd say hundreds of meters. Is that right? And for them to be covered with volcanic ash to the degree that uh, by which they weren't able to decompose or whatever the case may be, that would <laughs> that would seem to suggest there was quite a bit of volcanic activity. There was, yeah, there was. There are uh, volcanic rocks uh, uh, on the Avalon that probably provided the source uh, for the ash. Is that right? We can identify them today? Oh, yeah, there's volcanic rocks. Uh, I, I, I'm not into volcanic rocks. <laughs> Fortunately, I can't, uh, I can't name the formation uh, formations for you, but there are uh, definitely uh, volcanic rocks uh, in, uh, in eastern Newfoundland, and in fact, also in, uh, in New Brunswick, uh, there, there's uh, uh, sequences uh, similar sequences of rocks and fossils uh, in many different areas. So would these have been underwater mounts then? or yeah, they would have been, yes. Yeah, how interesting. So the world at that time, or this part of the world anyway, was a very different place than what we know now. Yeah, now there, there were like uh, uh, deposits that were, uh, you know, shallower water and even probably some that were like above the water but the ones in uh, in in eastern Newfoundland are mainly uh, deep water deposits now I understand our little quadriformis um, friend uh, who is now at the rooms and I strongly adv uh, recommend that people go down there and have a look at it it's clearly quite something um, I understand that there may be continuing work in that area I know the whole oh, yes. Bonavista Peninsula has been turned into a geopark now but um, uh, it, there's continuing work in the area yes uh, the scientists uh are, are I'm not I'm not sure what their plans are for this year, but they they have repeated visits uh, to study the the, uh, the fossils and the rocks, and uh, there are other researchers that are studying the uh, rocks at Manuel's River as well, which are younger, but also world famous for certain. And um... in fact. Uh, the rocks and fossils of Manuel's River were partly responsible for me coming to Newfoundland to uh, complete my geological studies when I was an undergrad. Well, tell us about that. I mean, how did you, first of all, how did you get involved in paleontology? And second of all, how, what, you know, what was the process like getting, I guess, having the attention called to this area of the province for you? Well, 
when I was in grade two or three at South Bay Elementary School in New Brunswick, we had a school trip to the New Brunswick Museum. And uh, in one of the display cases, there was uh, a piece of uh, black rock. And in it, there was a complete fish. And it blew me away. It was obviously a fish, but it was all, it was like in rock. So that was like amazing. So I ended up collecting, I started collecting fossils when I was in grade seven or whatever. Now I also collected, I collected lots of fossils, but I collected lots of what we call our pseudo fossils, which are false fossils. And I didn't find out that these several thousand specimens that I collected were uh, not fossils until I took first year university uh, geology. Uh, and I uh, I took that because I was horrible at identifying sedimentary rocks. And that's uh, where you find most fossils. So, and then at Christmas time in, in first year, the New Brunswick Department of Natural Resources came by the school to interview people uh, for summer jobs. And so uh, I, had, I had a summer job lined up uh, at Christmas time for the, the next summer. And basically that's how it uh, uh, continued for the rest of my university career. Now, uh, UNB only had two years of, two, UNB and St. John only had two years of uh, Geology, so I had to uh, either go to Fredericton or go somewhere else. And uh, Memorial had the reputation for being the best place in Atlanta, Canada, and one of the best places in Canada to do geology. So I and I heard about the Manuals River uh, fossils because the same fossils occur in St. John, New Brunswick, but the ones in St. John, New Brunswick are strongly deformed because the rocks have been folded and folded. So knowing about Manuals River and knowing that Memorial was had the best reputation and it was actually cheaper than going to Fredericton, I went to Memorial. I came to Memorial to study and eventually got my honors and my master's. And then in late June of 84, I got my present job with the Geological Survey of Newfoundland and Labrador. So I kind of fluked into it. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic, and it's so amazing when you hear, you know, professionals like yourself and how they get started in the path. It, it often goes right back to that moment when you're eight or nine or ten years old, when something grabs your attention. And you go, "Wow!" <laughs> yeah, that I still. Well, I, I think that fish specimen probably still is at the New Brunswick Museum, uh, but it might be in their sort of uh, backroom collections now. But it certainly was. A, Super impressive, but I found uh, comparable specimens uh, in uh, Western Newfoundland. My first job uh, uh, when I got hired by the, the survey was to go out to the Codroy Valley, the Cape Anglo Mountains or whatever, and uh, collect these complete fossil fish that a mineral exploration company had uh, discovered. So I collected some uh, in 1984, and then myself and my assistant, we went back in 1985, collected some more material. And uh, one of the best, I think, the actual discovery specimen is on display in the natural history uh, display. I think it's on the third floor at the rooms. 
cool. Another thing to check out then. Um, and what did you do with all that rock that you learned did not contain fossils? Well, I, I would not collect them. <laughs> now, if I was in, I, when I was working with uh, younger rocks, I would, uh, I would collect the, the fossils, but I'd also collect one or two bags of waste rock, particularly if they were limestone, because they contain microfossils called conodons. And they're actually uh, the teeth of vertebrates, similar to lamprey eels. So they were they're good for dating the rocks. Now I would not necess- I would not necessarily uh, process. I might process the the samples, but then I would send them away. Uh, there's a fellow Sven Stoga, who did his PhD at Mon, and uh, he's in uh, Copenhagen now, and we've we've been collaborating since 1976. So that's fabulous. Uh, so yeah, we. No, uh, uh, we're, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, you mentioned Manuel's River, and of course, that's one of the places that a lot of people immediately think of that in Mistaken Point in Newfoundland and Labrador. So uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about Manuel's River and the trilobites there uh, when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is the province's chief paleontologist, Doug Boyce. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And our guest today is the province's chief paleontologist, uh, Doug Boyce. And uh, Doug, you mentioned Manuel's River, and of course, that's one of the top places that a lot of people think about. And you don't have to look very hard sometimes to suddenly see the fossils around you. What makes that area so rich? Well, uh, I'm not exactly sure, but it was... uh, uh, largely uh, deep water deposit and uh, quiet water, and uh, you you could find a fair amount of fairly complete trilobites in these rocks. And uh, there's uh, several areas on the Avalon uh, Peninsula that, uh, where the formations occur, uh, and uh, one of them is is the quarry system on uh, Redbridge Road. And uh, anyway, they're really nice trilobites. The same trilobites occur in uh, Cape Breton and uh, in southern New Brunswick and uh, also in uh, Massachusetts. And uh, uh, But the, the biggest uh, amount of those trilobites are over in the UK and England and Wales. In fact, the original uh, specimen of Paradoxides davidus which is a spectacular trilobite in in eastern Newfoundland, uh, was described uh, from Wales. But the rocks uh, that the trilobites from over there are quite deformed. So you get the the specimens uh, over here are quite nice. But again, they're in shale, and so they've been flattened, and their shells have been broken. But uh, yeah, trilobites are fantastic fossils which are my favorite uh and uh you can find in some deposits uh, in western newfoundland where there's similar black shales you can find limestone lenses uh calcium carbonate and often the trilobites in those uh, rocks are 3d they have not been compressed at all so 
Oh, is that right? So for the purpose of our audience now, explain to us what a trilobite is, because essentially they look like kind of big carpenters, I guess. That's right. That's, you know, they look like big carpenters. They're not identical. The closest living relative to uh, a trilobite is a horseshoe crab. Uh, And uh, they, uh, all these arthropods, they, they, they mold. So you commonly just find the discarded shell. It's if you find a, if you find a complete trilobite, it means it's a dead individual. So yeah, most of these are the discarded shells of trilobites that were growing larger. Yes, but whenever you find a complete specimen, that's the actual dead organism. And there's quite the, I guess, collection of them in the uh, general area of manuals. Why is that area so um, uh, dense with these kinds of fossils? Well, in the Cambrian, uh, trilobites were the most uh, common uh, organism with with a hard shell. Uh, So uh, there are other fossils called brachiopods. And uh, then there's others called hyalithids that are conical uh, things. But trilobites uh, were the most common organism, in the, at least with the shell, in the, in the Cambrian. So uh, they're, as a consequence, they were most commonly preserved. And uh, in deeper water deposits that were quiet, uh, you would get a higher chance of complete uh, organisms uh, being preserved. Are these deep water as well? What kind of depth are we talking yeah, about? They, well, the uh, the rocks uh, on the uh, in eastern Newfoundland they started out shallow water, but then uh, sea level rose and they, the the water got deeper. Uh, and then uh, later, uh, it, the the, rock, the water started shallowing again. So. Uh, when you uh, are uh, when you get to Bell Island, which is world famous for its trace fossils, you're into shallower water deposits again. Probably this year, quite shallow. So, uh, so these creatures, what did they live on? Well, they would have probably uh, lived on soft body organisms. Uh, trilobites would have, uh, and uh, the the trilobite has a sort of a kind of a kin's jaw and it may have been able to like uh, crush smaller shelled creatures up and eat them i again am more speculating right here now though but they did have the hinged jaw um, but it's it's thought that they mainly went after soft-bodied creatures so uh, worms and other creatures that are living in the silt i yeah. suppose there are actually uh, some trace fossils on bell island that show uh, trilobite digging uh, traces uh, and there's also like it shows a worm trace uh, below the uh, trilobite trace so there's two interpretations either the trilobite was digging down through the sediment uh, to get at the worm or the worm was coming up through the sediment to eat the soft underside of the trilobite Ooh, so they were preyed up upon themselves probably oh yes they definitely were Wow. So what did uh, life look like on Earth at that time? Was life still confined to the ocean? Was there anything on land at that stage? I think there are some reports of uh, organisms uh, 
scooting on to the intertidal zone. But I think there's there have been some reports of very crude uh, land organisms, perhaps fungi or something like that. But I, I, I'm, I haven't really delved into it too much. So, I'm, you know, I'd have to do a Google search to see the latest on that. But I think there are some reports of uh, some uh, sort of uh, organisms that were able to like live above the water level. So the complex life forms were basically well, limited the to the ocean. Life forms were pretty much in the oceans, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to talk about because you talked about some fish and that sort of thing, and I want to talk about a little bit more higher level complex life forms, perhaps on the west coast. When we come back after this, my guest today on On Target is the province's chief paleontologist, Doug Boyce. We'll be back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from twelve thirty to one p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And we're back. My guest today on On target is the province's chief paleontologist, Doug Boyce. And Doug, uh, you mentioned uh, fish on the West Coast, fish fossils, I should say, on the West Coast. So that would suggest that the rock on the West Coast is younger? It is, yes. What other creatures uh, have you found there? They're carboniferous uh, rocks. And uh, the ones uh, with the fish are the oldest uh, carboniferous rocks in Western Newfoundland. But there are uh, younger rocks uh, from the Carboniferous that uh, have uh, uh, plant uh, remains in them, uh, like uh, tree trunks and the like. Like Blanche Brook uh, in Stephenville is uh, a, wor- a world-famous locality for, uh, uh, I guess you could say, uh, tree trunks. Uh, it's in a protected uh, site, uh, but they've been known of for a long time. And uh, they're quite spectacular, actually. Uh, some of the uh, the tree trunks are found. Uh, uh, they were like interpreted as having been uh, deposited in, in in an ancient stream. Anyway, one of the exposures, uh, of course, is Blanche Brook itself, which is kind of interesting. So, I'm kind of wondering if perhaps the same uh, uh, underlying bedrock control the. Uh, the streams in the, the Carboniferous as uh, as in Blanchbrook now, but again, I'm speculating. <laughs> Hard to imagine what. Um, so that would suggest, of course, that we're into a time period when there is uh, complex life forms on land. Yes, and there are. Uh, there have been. Uh, uh, there's been a small uh, uh, trackway found in, uh, I think, Pinsbrook. The uh, the Tuac uh, family quarry, uh, and uh, so they were uh, they were. Uh, there are no uh, bones, but uh, the footprints are pretty good. There are similar ones in uh, Nova Scotia, in in rocks of, of about the same age. Yeah. So this trackway was a, a, a lizard of some kind. It was an amphibian. It would have been an amphibian. Uh, uh, like a- amphibians uh, preceded reptiles, uh, this uh, so the fossils that are known elsewhere in Atlantic Canada at that time are amphibians, and uh, some I think some bones have been found, but none have been found in uh, Western Newfoundland yet. 
that's fascinating just to think of this little creature <laughs> wandering around <laughs> doing his thing yeah yeah newfoundland is a, a fantastic uh, place for fossils uh, it's there's also a there's a locality in southern labrador where the first uh, well the archaeocyathids were found they're a an ancient form of sponge and the first uh, archaeocyathid fossils were found uh, in 1842 in i think uh, lansamoor so first place on earth that they were discovered so that's pretty pretty interesting so what's your favorite spot uh, that's a real tricky question. Well, Mike, I guess I could say my favorite area is Western Newfoundland. I did my honors and my master's theses in Western Newfoundland on on different uh, new trilobite faunas, uh, new Cambrian ones in uh, in uh, sort of Ladies uh, Cove East and Dead Man's Cove. And then uh, for my for my masters, I described fossils from uh, Boat Harbor, Cape Norman, at the tip of the Northern Peninsula. So, so how did those? Hard to say. I mean, they're all. I mean, Newfoundland is an ex- excellent spot. And then, as far as well, it's just for putting around. I kind of like uh, Eastern Newfoundland because you can often find some very nice trilobite specimens. So. So how did the trilobites on the West Coast differ from the ones on the East Coast? Did they evolve a lot? Well, they actually uh, were on another side of what was called the Iapetus Ocean. Uh, uh, There aren't many trilobites in common between uh, Western Newfoundland and Eastern Newfoundland. Eastern Newfoundland was in uh, sort of uh, high latitudes, much like I guess we are today, whereas Western Newfoundland was... Uh, tropical to equatorial, so the rocks in Western Newfoundland are largely limestones because the, the waters were like uh, much warmer, and you had lots of calcium carbonate uh, uh, being deposited. And there was uh, also the uh, different reefs that were built of the archaeocyathids, and then later the stromatolites and the thrombolites. Uh, so. But there are there are scattered fossils that do uh, exist on both sides of the old Iapetus Ocean. There are these little creatures called agnostids, and you can get the same species on in both on both sides of the the province, really, and and the ocean, yes. Uh, and then there are some other trilobites that could uh, make it. The, the feeling is that well, the water here was cold, and uh, the trilobites would be able to swim in the cold water but then when they got over to western Newfoundland it would be cold in the deeper water but then uh, as it gets shallower the water temperature was too uh, too hot for them so they stayed in the cold water but there are some deep water deposits in western Newfoundland where you find the eastern Newfoundland type trilobites so that's uh, that's kind of I thought that was cool when I first learned that I didn't really understand the concept of Final provincialism until I, I I learned about these rocks. That's so interesting. So, uh, what kind of uh, research is being carried out there now? Any new findings or new areas of of uh, interest? Well, I, I myself am uh, writing up reports now. I'm not an active field geologist any longer, but uh, I'm sure there's still people doing research there. Uh, but 
it's, uh, you know, I was able to, like, do a lot of work in, in Newfoundland because in the early days, um, there weren't any dedicated paleontological uh, uh, researchers working in the province, like pre-Confederation and even, like, post-Confederation. Uh, so... Uh, where a lot of a lot of discoveries were made in Atlantic Canada, like you know, in the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. But because there weren't that many paleontologists working in Newfoundland, a lot of discoveries weren't made until late fifties, and then uh, you know, in two more recent times, the uh, mistaken point fossils were discovered in the mid sixties. So that's fairly recent. Yeah, uh, and such a. It's such an extraordinary place. uh, First time I visited it, um, I was incredibly moved. I didn't think I would be that moved. Yeah. No, uh, this is uh, this is the reason for the uh, Perseverance uh, Mars uh, mission. It's a it's a paleontology mission. It's not generally realized, but they're looking for they're looking for. Examples of ancient life and uh, uh, stromatolites and thrombolites would be cool to find on Mars. Uh, I don't know whether they look the same as on Earth because Martian gravity is uh, weaker than than Earth gravity, but uh, that's what they're uh, that's partly what they're hoping to find. They're well, indeed, any of these ancient and I, I suppose it, it takes a paleontologist to be able to recognize it. Yeah, well, in May, it's hard to say. Uh, sometimes you don't expect fossils, like the mistaken point fossils, uh, basically uh, validated the earlier finds of fossils in St. John's. There's this one fossil called Aspidella terranolica, and it was first described as a fossil. But then, uh, for, uh, and that was in 1872. But then, uh, there weren't any uh, other fossils. Uh, well, they thought that you only had fossils in the Cambrian period, and that's just well below the Manuals River. So people said, no, they're just inorganic. These Aspidellas are just they're pseudo-fossils or whatever. But then uh, when Mistaken Point was found, there was a, a huge diversity of uh, ancient organisms found there, including some that looked uh, very much like the Aspidella from St. John's. So then they said, oh, I guess Aspidella turnover is a fossil after all. So, <laughs> Well, Doug, I, I appreciate your time this afternoon, uh, and thanks to Noah Shepard for helping to uh, arrange all of this. Uh, I guess you'll be treading the boards through the course of the summer as well as... Yes, our, our next performance of Coriolanus is Friday at 6 in front of the rooms. There you go. Be there or be square. <laughs> um, Doug Boyce, thank you. My, my pleasure. And, and I should mention at the very last that there are actually some fossils in the blocks in front of the rooms. Oh, let's go look. They're very tiny. You need a <laughs> hand lens to find them. So. Ah, well, the, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Doug Boyce, thank you. Well, thanks for having me on. Alrighty, and we'll be back tomorrow. I think Greg's going to take care of tomorrow's show. Um, And uh, Patty is supposed to be back on Open Line, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, everyone.